all. Welcome to the Ground Game Podcast. I'm your host, Bushido Squirrel, and today we're talking to Jeff Weiss, who's a former columnist for the LA Weekly, one of the many organizers of the Boycott LA Weekly campaign, and the editor of the of Passion Weiss, the website. Uh, how are you doing today, I'm Jeff? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well. So before we get into it, let's talk a little bit about LA Weekly. So they got sold. How did that deal go down? Well, uh, we, you know, I'd written for the LA Weekly for 10 years, and we were under the impression, uh, starting on January 1st, that it was up for sale. The previous owners, who I don't have many good things to say about them either, they didn't tell the editors or the staff of the Weekly that they were putting it up for sale. They just put up a blog post. So that was how the the writers and editors of the LA Weekly uh, learned that uh, they were on the auction block. And, you know, it's sort of part and parcel for kind of how journalism is. You know, they, they the... The cor- the corporate overlords basically kind of treat you like a peon um, very often. You know there are a lot of, there are a few good corporations that treat their employees well, but most of the time you're kind of seen as disposable. And this seemed like one of those instances where uh, you know seven or eight months passed where you know we heard nothing about the sale, uh, and you know you know and, th- and that's a kind of chaotic environment for a lot of people to go to work in. You know and not knowing the, the future of the company. Basically, we heard around October that the company had been sold to a mysterious, shadowy company that had been incorporated just for the purposes of the sale called Seminal Media. No one really knew anything about Seminal Media. Uh, an investigative journalist discovered that it had been incorporated by a, a lawyer who had uh, ties to the cannabis industry. David Welch, right? Yeah, I, I, I have several friends. Having gone to USC, like half my phone book is lawyers, and several of them have worked for this guy. No one has good things to say about him, so I always, I always kind of... You know, look at everything he does with a grain of salt. Yeah, I think they were suing. He, he was involved in a lawsuit suing, you know, small dispensaries in Santa Ana or whatever. You know, it, it just uh, the, these guys seem to be emblematic of uh, a lot of the larger trends, kind of the sw- insidious trends kind of sweeping America in terms of consolidation, destruction of media and uh, big, big uh, cannabis kind of taking over and taking out the little guy in, in, in the marijuana industry. Uh, and, and I want to ask real quick, because I want to circle back to the marijuana industry thing, because um, I feel like that's a big part of this story that's not getting told. Uh, but before that, uh, under Village Voice, um, what was management like? Did you you didn't seem like you were super happy with it. And they are a large corporate owner of independent. Media totally. And, and this is the thing I'd like to stress. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I got interviewed actually right after this happened by uh Tucker Carlson's website, you know what I mean, and like because the, I, the I, Daily Caller. the Daily Caller, it was just an email interview. But I thought it was important to stress, you know, for the conservative people out there that look, look, every journalist is well under the impro- is, is aware that they have been they've worked for and they've been owned by conservative owners, uh, you know, in conservative corporations that may have views that are kind of they even find uh, nefarious compared to what the journalist believes. But there's a difference in the sense that like. That's a company that does newspapers. Rupert Murdoch once owned the Village Voice for a long time at the, kind of the peak of its influence, and he didn't mess with it because he understood that, you know, there are certain journalistic ethics that have to be inviolate, and uh, this company didn't understand that. And to the to the voice media's credit, they might have slashed, they might have done, they might have had a terrible mentality. You know, I, I one of my friends told, they actually told them, uh, should have a migrant worker mentality work for the corporation. I mean, they were bad people, and they deserve blame, but at the same time, these guys were like dream owners compared to the seminal media people. You know, they they would, you know, they were trying to kind of smear us and say, oh, they came in and fired people. Yeah, like they changed the staff, but like they, they put in competent owners. Like when, competent editors, like the pre, the the editor at the time of the paper, uh, when, you know, she described as the cuts as the red wedding is a woman named Mara Shalhoub. Mara was the former editor of Creative Loafing in Atlanta and the, or editor of the Chicago Reader in Chicago, which on any given day, was, yeah. it's LA Weekly's rival for the best all-weekly. Great newspaper. She also had written uh, the book on BMF and Big Meech and oh. in Atlanta. So, you know, I'd have rappers come to my house for podcasts and stuff, and they'd be like, 
can I read this book? Yeah, I, I, had, I had a rapper, his cousin actually took the book from me because they were, you know what I mean? So like, we're talking real legitimate journalists with qualifications and all the editors were, were excellent and sharp and, and real professionals. And, you know, that's a dramatic difference from kind of what came in. Because when uh, when the, the Seminole uh, ownership took over, they got rid of pretty much the entire staff, except for one editor, writer, one writer that they promoted yeah. to editor. So they fired, they, well, they fired the publisher, they fired about half the advertising staff, and then they fired nine out of the ten uh, writers and editors for the site. And did they replace them? Well, not at first. Uh, the you know, it should be said that every positive thing that they've done, and when I say positive, I mean that with air quotes around it, has been uh, completely a response to the boycott. You know, from not pay, they didn't, they were trying not to pay writers from the onset uh, until we caused a controversy over that. They were trying not to hire editors. You know, they claimed a financial penury and inability to be able to kind of pay. But then now they have, I think, like five or six right editors there, but they're, they're mostly part time and. They're phenomenally untalented people. I hate to, I hate to be so mean about that, but I mean, there. I, I was talking about this with uh, some people yesterday, and it's like, it's incredible that in five months they haven't produced one story that anyone would want to read. Like that to me is staggering. And that that there are a lot of political issues uh, that are that are damning about them. There's a lot of ethical like lapses that they've had that are just, I mean, just unbelievably staggeringly stupid and immoral and just venal and you know the whole breaching of of editorial and publishing all all the bad things you can do in journalism but i really do think that like the fundamental most damning thing about all this is the lack of quality and like that to me is you know i think when you when you have la in front of your name or you have any city in front of your name the business doesn't you the business belongs to the city on some level it is a public trust you know i was i was having this conversation the other day where it's about bernie bernie sanders was radicalized when the dodgers left brooklyn and did you see that thing that came out about a couple months yeah. ago at spring training? But that's true, right? Like, you should not be able to move the team and, like, destroy, you know, destroy what had been a civic institution for your own kind of insidious gain. And that's sort of what happened. No, it's, it's weird because I sort of have a personal connection to the founding of indie media in this, this country because the Phoenix New Times was, like, the first independent media. My dad's real estate broker actually printed out their first edition on his dot matrix printer back in, like, I want to say, like, 84 when they first came out. Like, Larkin and those guys were all friends. We I went to the same high school their kids went to. Uh, so when they were getting investigated by Sheriff Joe, like— the special investigator's kids was in this class with Larkin's kid when, like, they had his dad arrested. It was a whole mess. But it was weird to watch those guys go from the scrappy little media thing to, like, a fairly legitimate media empire, yeah. sell out, and then turn to, like, Backpage and stuff. So indie media itself isn't very settled. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the the case of absolute power corrupts absolutely. And, uh, th- and the problem, I think, with the Internet age is, you know, I think when you saw the blog, you know, I have an indep- independent blog, Patch in the Weiss. It was actually really funny because, you know, L.A. Taco, I think, has done a really great job of kind of picking up some of the slack for LA Weekly, especially the best of ability. I mean, they're a limited independent operation and I have a lot of love and respect for those. I love those guys. And, um, but they, they did an interview with Brian Kai and he was like, well, I think it's disingenuous that Jeff Weiss doesn't pay his writers at Passion of the Weiss and he's calling us out. And I was like, A, you mean hip- hypocrite. You don't even know how to use the word disingenuous, you buffoon. But second of all, my blog is like an independent zine that I, I lose thousands and thousands of dollars on every year to keep going like I'm not even counting time spent you know because I believe in independent media and I think it's important and I think like everything can't be controlled by corporations you know I was having this conversation the other day it's like I remember being in college and 
you know, I would have probably identified as like center left. I mean, I definitely was a Democrat, but you know, I, I believed in capitalism would always ha- have work out well. You know, the, the marketplace, the, of mar- ideas. the marketplace of ideas would work. And then you know, I remember I remember reading an ad, but like I pick up an ad, best it's like this is insane. <laughs> like they're so. And now I like look at it, and I'm like, I guess they were right. <laughs> like in hindsight, I mean, I don't agree with everything, but like more or less, they were right. You know, and like that's kind of the world. But like that 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 they were that was an advanced th- thought, and that's kind of where the world has gone. And to the point where it's like, you know, I had someone talk to me and they were like, well, why didn't you guys try to buy the paper? Because, you know, and I was like, we, I guess we we're naive. I guess we didn't think that like the crypto fascists would buy the paper and destroy it. Like you don't expect the vice president of the Claremont Institute to like buy sack and gut, you know, what had been the West Coast, like premier progressive alt weekly, you know, I, with maybe the stranger who's the only other one. But yeah. And the Portland Mercury is great. I mean, there's a few. And, and that's the wild thing about all weeklies right now is they make it seem and this is really all papers. They make it seem, oh, we can't make money. We can't money. A, if you couldn't make money, you wouldn't buy it. They're not stupid. You're, you're a free market enthusiast. You're not buying a paper that can't make money. But two, there's I, I was just I was in Big Sur last year for like a couple months. Monterey has a thriving alt weekly. There's one in Santa Cruz that probably it, it's thin, but it's there's there's two within a 60 mile radius. Missoula, Montana has one. Portland has two. Seattle, even the Seattle Weekly is gutted, but it still exists for two. I mean, and LA has basically none. I mean, I don't consider them. They're they're, they're dead as far as I'm concerned. They're they're the White Walker LA Weekly. Well, I don't even like, I don't see their physical uh, papers around all that much. We've also gotten into this fun game where like, we'll just mention to a business that does have them like, hey, you know who bought them? And they're like, oh yeah, we're not going to accept their free delivery the next time. Um, Because they've done a good job, I think, of keeping sort of the lid on this for most of the like normies as it were uh but i want to talk about because i think you're right to call them sort of crypto fascists because they're really hardcore libertarians the claremont institute publishes some kind of like scary very like extreme economic stuff uh how has that cabal come together like where do you think they're actually speaking from is it money in the oc are they connected with a certain industry like where do you think this is is being driven i think it was a combination of three factors is i I do i you know people have asked do you think they're political uh political intentions. And my response was, well, if you look at these men and you look at their history of donations, and that includes Mitch McConnell, that includes $30,000 for the Donald Trump Victory Committee, we're t- all the way back to Pete Wilson, right? They have a, a pack called Gen Next, which has, I think, 99.9 donated to Republican candidates. I think they might have donated to one Democratic candidate in 2002, right? So it's like a 16-year... These are men who have, you know, not just tenure at the Claremont Institute, but but running it, you know, vice president, you know, number two. Uh, I don't believe that there's anything that they could do that wasn't political. You know, I mean, think about it. If you took over, like, you're running this. If you took over an alt-weekly, of course it would be political. You're a political person by nature. Like, you know what I mean? You, you, you don't just show up one day and become political. It's like, you know, me, like, people, uh, my, my political record, you can go through my Twitter, you f- find what I believe. And so, of course, it was political. I think definitely the, the weed thing played a huge part in it. They thought it was going to be a gold rush, and that was even in the sales materials that uh, Voice Media was was peddling. Yeah, I, I wanted to, to touch on that one, because especially with David Welch in the mix, and he's pretty notorious around Southern California, fighting, like, first for sort of legalization, but within market constraints, and then, like, being the legal counsel for a lot of these big, like, marijuana grow operations and stuff, it seemed to me like they wanted to buy themselves a mouthpiece to rep their bigger industry friends. I agree. I think so. And I think, you know, we, we've tried to get MedMen to take out ads, and MedMen lied to me a couple of times about saying Ooh. that they were going to leave. And so MedMen is, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of, they're pretty, they've been pretty shady about it. I, we we published uh, the office number of their communications director, who was a former journalist, and I had a couple of nice conversations with, and I really, um, 
I really expected more. I understand you're limited as a communication specialist. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, you're not the one making the financial decisions. But, you know, they had some bullshit of like, oh, well, you know, we're limited in places we can advertise because, you know, major mainstream publications won't take our advertising money, which is bullshit. Like, they, they should take their advertising money. Yeah. I think that's ridiculous. I think I think marijuana corporations, of course, should be able to put their money in banks. It's That's a recipe for people getting robbed. It's stupid and it's, and it's retrograde. Conversely, I don't think MedMen is having problems getting their word out. Like, I mean, I've seen their billboards everywhere, you know, like, and honestly, if I, I mean, it's just stupid. I don't know. If I was thinking of an advertisement, like, I would definitely, why would you go on the LA Weekly? It's disposable. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, print media is like, I mean, I wish, this is one of those things you shouldn't say that, but like, why would you take out an ad in a print newspaper in 2018? What are you, a moron? Yeah, like, like, unless you're trying to do, like, the New York Times and make, like, national news with it. But at this point, it's a pretty bad yeah. uh, investment. I, I want to say, or I want to ask, have you guys had any luck, like, tracing where the money came from like do you know where they were able to get like it was 1.6 well, was the, one, the sale price one three is what i was told God, that's so cheap i know well that's the thing right like i would you know i and like uh if i'd known i i'm pretty sure that a consortium of like us with you know just a few like you mix together a couple like somebody's dad is rich or something or you know what i mean like somebody you get some celebrity and you get like you know maybe a couple philanthropists and you're able to call i mean 1.3 million is 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 you can't buy. I mean, it, it's a good deal if you're finding a three-bedroom house in Los Angeles. Yeah, exactly. For, for I was gonna say, like, million. if I go to Zillow, most of the houses I'm looking at cost more than that totally. entire paper operation. Yeah, totally. I mean, there are condos downtown that are like triple that. You know, it's like nuts. And uh, but they got it for a steal, and it's a heist, and they understood that, and uh, they basically bought it. Um, I, I think they were trying to gut it, honestly. I think, and I think they got caught red-handed. Mm-hmm. They they had no plan. They had no one to replace them. They, they, they the website was essentially dark for. You know, they—they they, one of the most damning things that I—I I, I still feel like I can't be stressed enough is when they came in and the first comments they gave to the LA Times were, "Los Angeles is not a is not a cultural capital like New York or San Francisco," and that to me is just like. I'm a native Angelino, and, like, my grandmother went to high school here, and my dad, like, on the other side, my dad was raised, you know, dating back to the 30s on one side, the 50s on the other side, I'm like, I'll kill a motherfucker who says that. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I've worked so hard to cover the culture and, and hopefully be a part of it in some way, and I've, like, I'm so, I'm, I'm proud of how, like, I grew up here being like, I want to get the out of this place. I was like, what is going on? You know, the Hollywood thing to threaten a swallowed hole for me, and that was my limited perception of, you know, like, dumb West Side, like, narrow-minded thinking, but... In the last 15 years, I think LA's greatest asset has been the fact that people from San Francisco and New York have come to LA. And like, you know, like I was having this conversation the other day with a, with a New York editor. They're like, "Well, what do you think is good? What are the good bands in New York?" I'm like, "Why would a good band go to New York?" I'm like, "You're like asking me who are the good garage rock bands in San Francisco." I'm like, "Last I heard, the OCs, the White White Fence, like all these guys are in LA. All the cool bands from San Francisco, you know, Wooden Ships are like in Portland. You know, it, it and LA has kind of attracted that because I mean, just sheer size, like you know, it, it is cheaper." Comparatively, and I don't know. I think I, I, I'm I'm a big believer in we have to drive these people out because that it works. You know what I mean? Like it, that's the one. Thing. I mean, you're an activist, and you realize it's like if somebody has to be the asshole to stand up to the assholes. Yeah. Well, and, and and it's also you know when it comes to to the LA Weekly, as you said, they tried to get away with it, like have this fly under the radar, have most people miss it. Like they just wanted to like have the masthead, you know, go over to the next week. Uh, so the boycott was instrumental in calling that out. Uh, and I want to talk because we, you know, there's been a lot of coverage of the wins. Like you guys were able to get the the 99 essentials like festival shut down, which and- was you know we found out uh, through the reporting, the great reporting of Eater LA that it was paid. They were trying to make it pay to play. Yeah. And LA Weekly, you know, used to have such uh, stringent ethical requirements. You know, John, you you were not supposed to like even if you if you were a food critic, you weren't supposed to let the restaurant know that you were in the restaurant, and they would of course pay for all the things. And now you know for that essentials list, they were putting restaurants that weren't even open yet. Yeah. 
and and offering them like higher spots on the list if they'd make a bigger buy and just really really shady stuff um and then uh, a lot of it was also getting advertisers to pull out, which you guys had a lot of success calling that. What I want to look at now is what your kind of end game is. Like, what do you want to push them to? Like, do you want to drive Brian Calais into the sea whaling? Uh, do you want to, like, uh, see the paper bought out, see it shuttered completely? Like, what, what do you guys, what would be an optimal outcome? I mean, at, at this point, like, I, I would love them to, like, leave with, like, I'd love to afford them the opportunity to leave with, like, uh, what's remaining of, of their dignity. I don't think they have any dignity, though, unfortunately. But if they had it, like if they were listening, I'd be like, you know, there are there there have been people, you know, I've I've spoken to that expressed interest um, in in purchasing the paper who could be responsible and liberal minded owners. Uh, they never responded to my initial email about it, uh, and they tried to make it seem like I had the money to buy the paper, which I was like, oh yeah, I'm a freelance journalist, like right, <laughs> like I'm like yes. I'll just take that $1.3 million out of my back pocket that I, you know. I, I've taken my millions and I'm very long on Bitcoin, so, totally. you know. I'm, I'm, I'm balling off a of Bitcoin. My cryptocurrency game. I'm going to give all my cryptocurrency to the crypto fascists. So, um, so I, I, I want to uh, add a little addendum to this because we, we have uh, Patrick uh, Soon is his name, the new owner of the LA Times, uh, which is moving to El Segundo for a weird reason. Like that one, I'm still because it, it like to me, it feels like local journalism needs to be close to the city. Like that's how you talk with people and end up at the same bars to like chat with with people from the mayor's office. So if you're in El Segundo, it's hard to do journalism about L.A. But is, you know, how much can, how much faith can we put in? these expensive or like these wealthy owners to save these. I think none. And I think that's getting back to what I, our, our dream scenario is to turn into like a, a non-profit or a workers co-op. I think that's the ideal scenario where, where it's funded by a combination of Patreon or Kickstarter. Uh, you know, you, you might have to, you know, do uh, charity fundraisers, you know, pretty frequently. I, I mean, and and definitely philanthropists. I, I think that's I think that's the way. I think it's more of a, the KCRW model because I think we have to have a, like a total shift in consciousness for like these are civic institutions that belong to the city. They do not belong to the private capitalists to exploit at their own whim. And I think that's like really something across the board in all forms of American life where we have to be like, you know what, this is not right. Like, even what Jeff Bezos is doing is wrong. Like, I mean, what an attitude to have to be like, I don't know how I could do the money. I guess I'll spend it on rocket ships. It's like, you literally, the, a, a, Amazon's like holding off and hiring 7,000 workers. To, it was just announced today because of Seattle's trying to do something for their homelessness. And someone tweeted out, Jeff Bezos could buy uh, a median home price for every homeless person in America and still have $19.4 billion left over. Yeah, it's, it's amazing because they're objecting over a 500 uh, $500 per employee tax. And it's like, these are like six-figure jobs you're putting down here. Like, that adds, that's not even a significant amount of money for, like, even for a company of that size. It seems like they're just objecting to the idea of being civically engaged. Well, and I, I think we've been, I think we've been duped, I think, as Americans for so long. You know, I, I look back and, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but, like, the income tax under Dwight D. Eisenhower was 90% for the top bracket. Yeah. I don't think – I think that's a little high. I mean, but, like, half would – you know what I mean? Like, half seems, like, pretty reasonable if you're making – you know, and, uh, and of course, like – everyone thinks they're going to win the lottery and like you're not going to win the lottery and you're just going to get more wealth compounding and you're going to get things like this where like basically we don't know where the money came from to, to go back to that six of the investors have been announced they said 12 initially the money pro some of us have speculated it might come from republican operatives but i don't think that's the case because honestly like they got caught so hard that they haven't been able to run the republican propaganda they wanted to i mean they've had a few chestnuts here and there uh but you know it it they they claim they, they they cry little little poor rich boy a lot and uh, I don't think they're I don't think they understand that uh, the, to be a popular or a successful alt weekly or successful newspaper or really successful business you really have to have the support of the community you have to win hearts and minds and like they're just blood is they have, they're just toxic blood and bile you know they're just 
they're incapable of connecting because they don't understand the community. Like, you know, you can't just, like, that's the thing. That's like, I, I have a night called Don't Come to L.A., uh, like we we throw shows and it's like that idea where it's like just like because people don't get it it's like how the New York Times covers LA it's like you cannot like it took me a long time to figure out LA and I grew up here you know I still feel like I'm trying to understand LA and it's a complicated city and it doesn't necessarily reveal itself uh initially to outsiders and I think that's part of its charm yeah. you know I always described it as like a city where you know it's that old like Scooby-Doo cartoon or something where you pull the candelabra and the wall revolves and you're like this was here the whole time and you're like oh there's the villain but um and he's yeah I, I, I work off of a the walk of fame right now as I'm gigging for Live Nation and so like the office is right there and it's a, it's a, definitely a clash of like people who live in LA and people who are still like looking at the facade and then also a the most committed Falun Gong protesters I've ever seen. So they've always had that sign out in front of the, the Chinese theater just find amazing every morning. But as you mentioned, L.A. Taco, uh, we also have, like, other independent outlets kind of popping up. Yeah, like, Knock has been doing, like, really well. Um, apparently housing issues are, like, the number one millennial issue. Like, that it's insane. Makes, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's terrifying. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, you know, they have, like... <laughs> weekly last week had like they're like white women coming into Inglewood and you're like we're gonna take out Market Street and like you're like you know what like no just just don't like just don't like I think what Boyle Heights is doing is right like I had this conversation last night with with I was at the LA Taco event and like we were talking and I was like you know it was it was a Latinx student he was like yeah like I kind of agree with Boyle I'm like I definitely agree with Boyle Heights because it's like there's a difference between like yes in the abstract everyone should be allowed to live wherever they want to live I mean of course right but that's not how it works it's not how white people do when they when they get in they destroy the culture and they raise up the prices and the next thing you know everything's a condo and a juice bar yeah well I remember during the the no SB twenty <laughs> Who can pay $13 for a juice? Well, the, the best part I love when I see people with the, the fresh press juicery, because one of my friends was their accountant, uh, or was the accountant for their, their produce vendor, and they just bought the bottom of the barrel crap. Because if you're going to juice it, you're not buying good produce, but then they just jack it up. If you also notice, like a lot of those bottles don't have an expiration date on it, and you're like, that's not good. Uh, but I, I want to see, you know, with the independent media coming up here in L.A., do you think that that's a good backstop? Like, is that sort of network of independent sort of like hardworking journalists going to fill in for a centralized operation? Because there's a lot of good that comes from having th everything under one roof. I, I, you know, I think here's the thing. L.A. should have probably like it should have like a knock and it should have an L.A. taco and it should have an L.A. and it should have an L.A. weekly and it should be have L.A. times and it probably should have another L.A. weekly because a lot of people forget there were multiple. When I first started writing, I mean, this is only 10 years ago, there was a the Los Angeles Alternative Press was a publication. They had uh, L.A. City Beat was, you know, it was waning, but it was still there. I mean, there were so there are three legitimate ones plus L.A. record published more frequently. And uh, that's a lot. I mean, I don't think you can replace it. I think the LA, what the L.A. weekly and that's kind of what the fight has galvanized but a lot of people were like start your own alt weekly and you're like do you know how hard it is to be able to 40 years of like a, of, of a legacy and brand recognition i mean what the la weekly had built was on our back it was on jonathan gold's back who you know won the was the only pulitzer prize winner for food criticism it was on christine pelisek's back who won the who caught the grim sleeper it was on you know all these like writers you know dating back for decades that really like made the la weekly a destination and yes was the la weekly the best it had ever been I don't know, probably not, if we're going to be honest, but it was good and it was solid and it was improving and it was it was a really great civic asset and that has been just completely destroyed. And that's what we need, I think, more is to kind of 
put we we need those things like it can't just it, we can't rely on billionaires that's it's just not it's just not a good look yeah you know, no, what if it, jeff bezos tomorrow just says i don't want to run the fucking washington post and that's dead like you know there and people are like oh and you know we i think it's also really important to kind of stress that what's happening with the la weekly is not occurring in isolation obviously these are trends you know in atlanta creative loafing basically got destroyed and gutted houston press the voice media basically gutted those are huge massive cities and hubs of culture that now don't have an alternative newspaper and you know if, if some people might not be as fluent about um you know, media, but there is a big difference between what is an LA Times story and what is an LA Weekly story. And I always would find that, like, you know, I, I, I write for the LA Times. I, I wrote for the LA Times starting in 2007. Like, I love the people at the LA Times, but like, they're not going to put DJ Quick on the cover most, more often than that, whereas the LA Weekly would, because it's just a different thing. Like, they're not going to, I mean, like, and like, 03 Greedo is a perfect example, you know, and LA Weekly, I, I was able to kind of, you know, and a lot of other people were. You know, there is an intersection of politics with almost everything in culture, right? Food, like, you know, there are the chefs in the kitchen who are worried about ice or, or even not the chef, but maybe, maybe a busboy is worried about ice or, you know, uh, the farmers, you know, it's not just farmers markets and shit, you know, there's in, in hip hop, you know, one of the stories I covered and I, I, the, I was one of the first people to ever cover him is a rapper named 03 Greedo who is now going to jail for 20 years uh, for meth, meth trafficking. He got arrested in Texas and he's from the Jordan Downs project in Watts. And like, there are, you know, another rapper I first covered in LA Weekly is Draco, who right now is being, he has murder charges thrown against him and he's locked up in county jail. You know, there are these these interactions with the criminal justice system that are innate to hip hop and that, that makes music a political issue in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. Uh, New York, uh, the NYPD had an entire unit that just watched rappers that were just like looking for reason to bust them. I know Ace has had, he had some great stories as a, a public defender about like having to correct cops about the fact that like rap lyrics aren't real because they really want no, to that, believe that they are. In this instance, Draco, was you know one of his friends uh, a guy named Bambino one of a really talented rapper just had his child taken away from a child services because he was in a video the song was called shoot a baby which is like obviously a joke like they're not gonna shoot a baby the song is about like we're so hard we'll shoot a baby it's like I mean it's absurd it's absurd it's whimsical and you know it's like hardcore rap music but it's a joke right the kid got his baby taken away he's in jail too and you know I, I, I forgive my rambling it's the way my, my brain works but you know I was saying this is connected you know it, it is connected to what Tronk was trying to do the LA times which was basically destroy it you know and for their own gang you know game uh michael farrell was the was the publisher or the guy who was running the paper he was a con man the guy was giving himself five million dollar lump sums at the start of every year for air quote consulting uh you look at what alden global capital is doing are you familiar with that kind of saga I, a little bit i recognize the name okay so this is a pretty wild story that a lot of people don't know. Actually, The Nation first put me on this about eight months ago. And it was like something like that. Like, The Nation has to, you know, The Nation better survive because, like, if The Nation doesn't, I might not have found out, you know. Other, it's kind of what breaks the story. So basically, there's a company called Alden Global Capital. It's run by a, a hedge fund billionaire named Randall Smith, who's lived, based in New York, spent $60 million in 2012 or 13 alone on Palm Beach real estate. Like, one of those, like that rich, where you're just like, oh, I spent $60 million. I don't have to pay taxes. Then Randall Smith uh, owns a company called uh, Digital First Media, which I, I believe is headquartered at Denver, I'm not sure. They, uh, they own the Denver Post. They own a bunch of newspapers out the West. They, in turn, own the Southern California News Group, which basically controls every single small regional paper in Southern California. We're talking the Daily Breeze, uh, the Daily News, uh, the Long Beach Press-Telegram, Orange County Register. And Brian Kaye, the buyer, of the, the new publisher of the LA Weekly, um, was in charge of all the op-ed content. 
for this entire chain. It was about 12, 14 newspapers. So basically, you had a second Fox News type operation, you know, running pro Fountainhead editorials, you know, in like the paper that your parents and your grandparents would read. You know, if you lived in Pasadena, you know, your parents or your grandparents probably would read this daily newspaper and, you, and they would probably never notice like, hey, these, these op-eds are pretty conservative. Yeah, no, the, the Daily Breeze, every now and then it pops up like an editorial, uh, generally by this one very like right-wing woman. But the way that they're sold and the way that they're, the, the headlines, the mastheads and everything reads, it seems very neutral. And if I was somebody who wasn't media savvy, I'd be like, oh, this is the the common sense belief. Totally. And how many people are that media savvy? I mean, like, and especially with the, de- you know, the uh, how they've just been demonized completely. And, you know, we have a president that literally is called the press the enemy of the people. That's what Stalin would say, you know? And the other thing that's so, de- uh, you know, grotesque to me about uh, what Alden and Digital First and, and Silicon Valley News Group have done is they basically ha- have just gutted these papers. You know, they're, they're like, they do what Bain Capital does. They strip them apart. They make it so right now in, in Orange County, there are 34 cities. There are four porters covering 34, 34 cities in Orange County. That's nuts. But what's the most terrifying thing about it is Alton Global Capital at 107, or uh, their digital news group, whatever, $170 million in profits last year and 17% profit margins. That's insane, 17% profit margins. So, I mean, that is a flaw in capitalism that they're exploiting. And I think it's up to the people to kind of call them on their bullshit. And to credit, like, you know, a reporter like Matt Pierce has done an excellent job, Carolyn Morant at the LA Times. Because they've seen the power of what they did with the LA Times Guild and unionizing. They, they, they stopped a quarter of their jobs from getting gutted. And that's not a big enough story because it becomes like a media on media story. And that's the problem with Boycott LA Weekly is, you know, we haven't got – we should be on like Rachel Maddow should be talking about it. These are big stories. But, you know, a lot of people – a lot of journalists, I understand, are wary of uh, – you know, writing about another publication list. And, and the, but like the problem with the notion of journalistic objectivity, it is important. Of course, journalistic objectivity is important. That goes without saying. What's pr- most important is honesty. And I think you've seen the right wing kind of figure out that like kind of that glitch, right? Where they're like, well, if we just lied to the journalist, they'll have, they'll, pr- they'll try to be objective and they'll inherently try to not come off as to overly liberal and then we'll get our propaganda in. And that's kind of what's happened. And uh, that to me is. I mean, you're not. I always think there's no rules in asymmetrical warfare, and the right is not playing on a fair, on a, on, an, on an even field. And like, you know, I I think a lot about like the, there's a famous quote about like Sartre and anti-Semites, and I'll mangle it if I repeat it. But the basic gist of it is that uh, they're they were the original trolls. They they have no account. They can just say anything. The Jews the Jews killed you know are, are killing you know robbing taking kids and using them for blood rituals. Most of them probably know, like, those kind of insane things are not true, but you can just say that. And then the other side has to come up with, like, a reasonable, calm defense. And, like, they win. They, they, they all, you know, and I think... It's very much, you know, when did you stop beating your wife type of question, you know? And when you're dealing with that sort of, like, fetishism of, like, racial identity that isn't based in reality. It's just based in, oh, I want to target something. I want to blame something. So I'm going to figure out what that is and then, like, point at that. And then you're stuck in this wrong objectivity loop it's like when you deal with climate change deniers you know even giving them a platform is more than they deserve and it destroys the objectivity of the situation totally yeah it goes back to that you know you're entitled to your own opinion not entitled to your own facts and like that's just that is the one thing that's and that was the one thing you know i la weekly did a speak truth campaign against us which was like right after sinclair media with with uh got their media packet that had the typos on it Oh, the typos. But they also plagiarized us. Like, I was like, you literally took our content and repurposed it and just changed the words. Like, that is plagiarism. Like, you're proving, like, your ethical bankruptcy. And, uh, I mean, it's just so insane. And it's, I mean, it really, like, if it wasn't, if, like, the fate of, I I wouldn't say this is not, this is not a fate of journalism, but this is, I, I really believe this is a huge battle 
in kind of the soul for for journalism in America. And I, you know, look, I know it's trite to say it's the only job in the Constitution, but like it is. Like this is like a necessary bulwark against things. And like I get it. People be like journalism's terrible. The worst thing is like now, and I'm sure you see it all the time. People will be like the media, the media. Like my dad will say shit. Like I'm like, well, what do you mean by the media? Are you talking about digital media? You're talking about print media? You're talking about cable news? You're talking about broadcast news on network? Like there are a million kinds of media. Are you talking about the food media? You're talking about the hip hop? Like you know what I mean? Like it's nuts. And like we've somehow like become so stupid that like someone could just say the media and it's funny I once was on an airplane that's about eight months ago and some woman started saying all kinds of crazy she, you send an airplane and you're like you think you're talking to a nice woman and all of a sudden she's like and then Obama gave the black people the cell phones I'm like you're insane give me away like what kind of racist shit you know but she starts out talking she's like oh what do you do for a living and I'm like oh I'm a journalist and she's like oh that's great and then like I, and then like then I heard her like two minutes later talking like going off on the media and I was like, wow, like, it, it's just such a semantic thing where you're like, if you say you're a journalist, they're like, oh, you're respectable. And if you say you're the media, you're the devil, you know, which I am the devil. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out here, here's the revelation. Well, I, I was going to ask, because uh, uh, this actually dovetails pretty well with the, the LAist and the DCist and all the, the SFists and that whole the, the ists all uh, dying because Don Ricketts is a, a horrible, insecure man. Uh, but a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, just, uh, like, in trying to salt the earth by not letting people get at their own work that they created, like, it was just yeah. an amazing, like, CF. But the uh, the LAist and several others are being resurrected by, like, uh, public radio stations, well, like we'll, one here in we'll Southern California. Well, we'll see. The one in uh, LAist right now, to my knowledge, I mean, what all what happened was uh, they bought the rights. Yeah. This a wealthy donor uh, bought the rights and all of them. But Was it just a, a donor? Because they, they went through the through KPCC, right? Yeah, well, the, the donor gave it to KPCC. They're mm-hmm. like, if you want this, like, it's yours. But then they're going to still have to fund it. You know, it's 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 expensive. To, and, that, and that's really the thing I think that's like, you know, we, we talk about, you know, can these other sites pick it up? There are there's no substitute for having the money to invest in like investigative journalism because that is where the that's what the real important issues come out you know the the scandal in bell or you know these dwp things or you know the real estate developers that are just basically committing graft and you know bribing bribing councilmen or what, what you know i don't know if they are necessarily now but it seems like it uh you know uh, the planning committee you know what i mean like different things where it's like you need investigative journalists you need people at city council meetings you know the la times could not be tasked to just do everything, especially in El Segundo. Yeah. You know, it, it, look, I mean, like, uh, it's great. Like, if, the, if the, like, thank God Patrick Soon-Jiang bought it, in spite of the fact that I'm like, you know, who knows about that guy? We'll, we'll see. You know what I mean? Like, we'll see. But, I mean, he did have multiple meetings with Trump, you know, and the, but that's what you're going to get with a billionaire, right? Like, what are you going to get? How many altruistic, like, liberal-minded billionaires are you going to get? Yeah, and it's also, especially when you get to that level of wealth, like, you don't get there by making enemies of other powerful people. You're not a chill bro. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's not many chill bros that are like, I don't know, I just, like, wanted to make, like, a billion dollars, so I did. You know, like, you know, you don't see the guys with dispensary, despite what MedMen will tell you, they're like, entrepreneur, stoner. Like, I hate that shit. I'm like, let me be a stoner in peace. Let me smoke my weed alone. <laughs> no, it's, it's also one of those don't things that kind of amazed me with the, the LA Weekly and their, their whole turn is the fact that they have not touched on like Jackie Lacey keeping everyone in LA County in jail who's been there who's been sent up on marijuana charges even though like San Francisco's changing that a lot of other states they're just not touching that because i think fundamentally they want their white corporate like marijuana partners totally. to make money and they don't been, care about the repercussions totally and there's been no story you know Austin Boatner is the new superintendent of schools for LA the guys <laughs> 
woefully unqualified. He has never taken a job in education, was a failed publisher at the LA Times, and an investment banker rate. You know, I'm sorry, if you're a hedge fund guy, that's not a qualification at this point. That's like, that's a mark against you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry, that means you're greed for greed's sake. And like, I don't trust you at that point. Like, well, what he, are you? What have you done for the world? When, when he came out and he said, my first job is to learn, it's like, then you shouldn't be superintendent. No, you should not be superintendent of schools, Betsy DeVos. You know what I mean? It's like, it's Betsy DeVos part two. You know, and these, and like, what a surprise that Brian Kaye has been, just wants to gut public schools. You know, his track record at every step of the way is charter schools, like, you know, vouchers, all that bullshit. Like, I mean, charter schools, to be fair, like, of course, they're a necessary thing in the world. You know, I don't think they're going to, they shouldn't replace public schools. You know, there needs to be some regulation on things. I mean, there needs to be a, comp- a tandem. But it's a lot of the, the, the connections between the people in power and the people who want them in power. That gets yeah. really masked. Like, we're without, as you keep saying, without investigative journalists, journalism, we're not going to track and find that money because these rich guys want to keep that all hidden. No, and, and you know what? I, and no one has really found the money with the, with the LA Weekly thing. There have not been any investigative journalists about uh, journalism stories about it. And I, and I don't think that's a, necessarily anyone's fault but that is a flaw in the fact that they're probably not invested like i don't think the la times has the bandwidth to do that i don't think they have you know there are not spotlight teams the way that there used to be i bet you the boston globe probably doesn't even have like i mean maybe they still do because they won the, the best picture but like you know what i mean like most places don't have that and you like need spotlight teams like you need that 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 was you know you need a woodward and bernstein like and we're lucky that the washington post still does that but you can't have two newspapers and i think it's really they're a news desert and that's what's happening and la is becoming a news desert in a lot of ways i mean not that many people and not that many people pick up print newspapers anyway so there's a lot of stories that are slipping under the radar you know i don't know that many people with an la times print do you have an la times print subscription yeah yeah i mean i do but i'm like a journalist i'm the only person i know under the age of 40 with an la times print subscription even my parents canceled their la times print subscription and that bothered i mean that bothered, i think everyone should I th- like i think it's important like I'm, I'm a supporter of the la times but like it um i mean i'm sort of any journalist at this point because it is dire and like there is a lot of bad journalism being produced, but there's way more good journalism being produced than, like, you know, and people want to point to, like, this stupid headline. And, like, that's not the point of journalism. The po- yeah. like, That's just a flaw in capitalism that's, like, they're trying to make you click, you know, and, and like, we just need... I mean, the city of L.A. is really... It is terrifying to think how much is... I mean, like, this Eric Garcetti thing is a fucking scandal. It's- Everything he's doing is, like... I'm like, yeah. you're running for fucking president? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. fix the homeless problem. Like, what what is wrong with you? Right. What do you think we can do to bring back the focus to L.A.? Because it seems like with Tronk and all those, they want to be like worldwide brands. They don't really care about showing up at city council meetings at doing the local work. What do you think we can do to get back to that? Well, I think like the problem with – if there was a fundamental problem with uh, Valley Weekly of the last decade, it was the fact that, you know, they were owned by corporate idiots. Corporate idiots who like at least understood journalism and like understood ethics to some degree. But like, yeah, like there there had been – like journal like like especially like local publications right because la times i understand has national aspirations like to some degree whatever i mean i i hopefully they will pivot more towards even local journalism because i think that's what's really missing but i think it's really incumbent upon journalists and uh editors and writers and anyone connected to really media to really educate the community on kind of the importance of of the media because i think a lot of people don't necessarily understand like how it benefits them in the different intersections where it's like these stories will not get told and um public you know like the mariachi plaza story you know and and that's an important story you know if you're not familiar with it basically a greedy landlord was trying to raise uh the rates astronomical the rents astronomically in a building where a bunch of mariachis lived and they would evicted them and they you know they had no place to go it's really difficult to find a department and through public pressure and media pressure they were able to convince them to change and it's the stories like that you know i remember like like uh you know harvard and six which or harvard and stone which is right down the street this is about five or six years ago i just started my column and I mean, it sounds insane now, but uh, so I was supposed to do a show 
and uh, because you know the band Chicano Batman. So they, at the time, they were like a really, really tiny band. Like they didn't have. Now they're like a worldwide phenomenon, which is amazing. I love those guys. They're amazing. This is the best. No, I remember band. seeing them at very small shows in L.A. Yeah, and like their their old manager at the time goes, "Hey, do you want to help us like promote like a, a night? You know, with my blog, Passion the Way." So I was like, "I'd love to." You know, they're one of my favorite bands. We were like a really early champion of them. And they're like, "Well, who do you want to bring in?" They're like, "Why don't you book this show?" So I brought in Open Mike Eagle. When uh, Open Mike Eagle was tiny, now he's a star with his own Comedy Central show. And I brought in Dame Funk. And, you know, Dame, because Dame's just the greatest guy. He'll do, he was pretty big at the time, but he'll just yeah. do a DJ set. He ended up not being able to do it, and he brought, he, he's such a gentleman. He's like, I'll have Ariel Pink do it. So it was like, this show was honestly going to be Chicano Batman, Open Mike Eagle, and an Ariel Pink DJ set at Harvard and Stone, right? Pretty legendary. Yeah. So the night before, the night before the show was supposed to happen, we've been promoting it for like weeks. I get, I get a, a call from Chicano Batman's owner, and they're saying, Harvard and Stone won't let you play. I'm like, well, well, well they will not let Open Mike Eagle play. And I was like, what? And so I get on, I, I started emailing with him. I got on the phone with him, and they're like, well, we only let analog rock and roll play. And and, like, and I was like, hold up here. That's coded racism, right? Because that's what it is. It's like you're basically saying analog rock and roll. It's like when people would have, like, no hats, no gang affiliations. You're, tr- you're trying to keep out people of color. Yeah. Like, and that's an obvious thing. So I talked to him, and I was like, this is the night before. Like, we've already promoted this. You should listen to Open Mike Eagle's music. He samples They Might Be Giants. You'll probably like this. You know what I mean? Like, his favorite band is They Might Be Giants. Like, yeah. he is the indie rapper's favorite. You know, he's the indie comics' favorite indie rapper, right? Just And just a great, brilliant guy with, like, a lot of – I mean, just – just an important cultural figure, I think, in Los Angeles, Chicago, and I think America. And they would they held tight. They refused to do it. So I wrote a column in the LA Weekly basically calling them out for being like more or less racist. And I, you know, it was like one man's purity is another man's prejudice. Yeah. And that those are the stories that LA Weekly has to tell because a big daily newspaper is gonna it's gonna be not enough of an issue. It's not it's it's too too granular. And it, it it's something I think like it, as we roll farther into this geo hell that like is our post uh, 2016 election uh, there's sort of this idea that I keep coming back to which is that small businesses really are the seat of fascism and I find that here with a lot of the cultural and then like housing issues when you see people getting angry at homeless people in like downtown that dude probably owns a business there's the the guy um, the Redwood Bar who beat up a homeless guy really like on the streets that, of downtown that, that, they've been supportive of the LA Weekly yeah no uh, they're one of the few venues that are still supportive of the LA Weekly yeah no I've, I've, I have a few friends that are like playing bands and stuff and I always try and be like maybe this isn't a venue you want to really book but at the same time I feel bad because it's like if you're a small band trying to get in in LA like yeah you want your foot in any door that you can yeah, get yeah tell them to get at me I'll, I'll yeah. get them a better place no it's, it's 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 really messed up Um, you know because with out that focus on these powerful small business owners, there's no way to know what's going on with those. There's no way to give people some guidance. Um, but I was going to say, as uh, it seems like the Boycott LA Weekly um, uh, campaign is ramping down a little bit. Like, you guys have gotten some big wins. There, There's not a whole lot more pressure to be applied acutely right now. But what are your plans going forward? Because I assume you guys aren't going to back off. No, um, never. I mean, this is one of those things where it's like, you know, it's a, it's a I shouldn't make an analogy. But, you know, I look at it like a long-term guerrilla warfare. Yeah. Like they, I, I, talk, I said, you know, it was quoted in my LA Taco piece where I said in the first email, I was like, don't make this Stalingrad. I'll make it Stalingrad. I, I, like my friends are joking around. Like one of my best friend was like, do they know it's going to be Stalingrad? And I was like, I just emailed him that. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So it's like, I, I, and there's a lot of us. It's not, you know, I, I think it's really important for me to stress that it's, this is not just me. This is not just di- uh, upset freelancers. These are, uh, there are a lot of people that are upset from the community that are involved, you know, who have never written for the LA Weekly and care, you know, some of them are activists, some of them aren't, you know, and, um, 
you know, some are like just college, you know, the kids from the Occidental Weekly, Hollywood Labor has helped us, you know, yeah. but like these kids from the Occidental Weekly, you know, I've spoken to, I've spoken to kids at community colleges and they're really passionate because they don't, they don't want to write for these kind of people. They want to like see a future that's bright and they want to be able to cover the news and do their job and cover their communities with dignity and, and respect and, and empathy. And that's what's completely lacking. And so we are, we have a lot of things planned. Um, we are, we uh, we're about to announce in the next few weeks. I, I probably should keep it under wraps. But there's a lot of there's a lot of things that we are going to announce um, that I think are we're trying to shift into more positive light in a lot of ways because I think it's important to kind of uh, balance. You, you can't just be attacking constantly. You know what I mean? Like at a certain point, like that becomes toxic in its own right. Even though I think it's you important. have to have some sort of an alternative to proffer. Be yeah. like, hey, this is we're not just burning this down. We want to build this. Yeah, thing. and you know, I think it's just important to kind of you know, uh, we I think a lot of us kind of want to advocate for. Uh, broader uh, journalistic issues because I think it's the same thing right what I was saying earlier where it's like politics is not divorced from journalism journalism is certainly not divorced from the community and I think ultimately the fundamental thing that a journal that a, a good journalist can do is you owe a service to your readers right and what do your readers value most ideally the truth uh, learning things about the, the place that they live that they might not have otherwise known and kind of uncovering things that otherwise would have been maybe obscured and that's I think what really we're going to try to do is kind of fo- morph into a broader advocacy group and kind of you know because I said like the real ideal is I, I think all weeklies need to be non-profit they need to be non-profits they need to be accountable only to the community and I think it's I, I think the Washington City paper even though I'm a little uncertain about their owners I think you know they, they got a big uh a group of former journalists kind of on the board and I think that's what's gonna have to be like a bunch of people who really care you can't just be bought up by like out of town and that was the problem with the New Times thing right like fucking Phoenix people shouldn't be owning your LA paper like it needs to have like local ownership and that was the other funny thing with the speak truth thing they're like this is good for LA this is local ownership I'm like nobody from Orange like you are not from LA if you're from Orange County like that's why there is an Orange County Weekly who called Brian Kai one of one of Orange County's scariest men I should say so it's not like that was the other thing that was crazy they're like they're making up lies I'm like literally every single thing we took about you was previously reported <laughs> like we didn't make up anything we had like one of the fire journalists is one of the best investigative journalists i know he was like sending me emails before the somewhat life he's like hyperlink to this hyperlink to this hyperlink you know because we do care about the truth we do care about like honesty and like and like just being like what what's the gain for us to like lie we have our reputation they don't have their reputation their reputation's already destroyed for us it's everything you know and that's kind of what it comes about you know we i was writing for the la weekly for a fraction of what I get paid with a hometown discount. Like, I, and I would do it for, like, the city because, like, I believed it was important, like, to, to I believed it was important to discover a Draco or a Greedo or whatever, uh, you know, artist that I, you know, there were a lot of times where it would just be, like, or, like, sugar-free street gospel 10-year anniversary. Like, who else is going to, you know, I, I, I could sell it to a bigger publication for $250 or more or something, you know? But, like, sometimes it's not about the $250 more. Sometimes it's about getting it to the people that matter. And I think most of the time it's about that. And, like, that's... I mean, obviously you're involved in this, but, like, uh, America's going to really have to, like, have a, a reckoning moment with its, like, you know, rapaciousness and, and, and the greed. And, like, we're going to have to, like, hold these... I mean, we're going to have to figure out something about the housing thing because, like, that's the other problem, too, right? Because it's, like, I don't blame people for being greedy sometimes. Cause I'm like, how, you have to be greedy to survive in this world. Like, you have to look out for yourself... And that's a really terrible thing, you know. When you're when you when the only apartment you can find is a two thousand dollar a month one bedroom, that shit is terrifying. Who can make that much money and like be okay, you know? Unless you come from money and like, and that's another problem with journalism. And I, I'm rambling, but a big problem with journalism is it, over the last few years is I mean I didn't have the money to go to graduate school, and I, I came from like a pretty decent home, but my parents weren't about to be like, yeah, we're gonna give you sixty thousand dollars, you know? They're like, or you take out crippling loans, so the rest of your life is like just indebted to these like institutions where all the money goes to like some middle management like bureaucrat the professors aren't making the money 
or like the guy who builds the gym. <laughs> you know, it's like now we need to stay to the art. You don't need that nice of a gym. Uh, but the, it, it, it's just a, it's just a really wild and so basically you know you'd have to get an internship at one of these big publications and who can afford to get it who can afford to take an unpaid oh internship? yeah people people already have money yeah you know and like you know i remember i, I got lucky in, in the sense where i i how did i get into journalism people all these people ask me all the time i was like well i started a blog and i wrote all the time for free for myself and i like had to pay my bills other ways and i still keep the blog going at the lot because it's like i know that there are kids that need that and i feel bad for them that i can't pay them but like you can't how is a tiny little indie blog going to compete with a huge corporation that has 12 verticals or like owns six other sites and like a marketing and advertising team who are they going to go to are they going to go to them are they going to i mean they're competing with google and facebook yeah. You know, like they're certainly not going to go to the Passion of the Weiss and be like, okay. And I don't want to be like, you know, we're the we're the undefeated Passion of the Weiss. Like that shit is corny. Yeah. So that's we're gonna have to figure it out. But I think I think I think it's gonna like take stuff like you know what you guys are doing, and it's like I don't think people people get like I don't know, people think of the word like radical, and uh, it, it's been demonized for so long, and it's like and. Or that, like you know, even progressivism. I mean, the ideas of progressive have been so thoroughly co-opted, and like we 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 forget that like how far we've been pushed to the right over the last thirty years. Yeah, there was uh, we, we I was talking with uh, Killa, one of our team members, and it was funny because we were talking about fundraising and figuring out how to do that. And one of the things she mentioned is, you know, uh, when we were kind of talking about why we're all kind of like having a hard time getting into that mindset because it's a hard thing to learn. But she's like, you know what angers me is that people want to give their money to like multi-million dollar institutions instead of people like us. Totally. And that should make you angry. And that's totally. really become like a fire for me um, that th we should be fighting to get people to pay attention yeah. to the smaller efforts. And I wanted to ask yeah. for the, the Boycott LA Weekly, how can people keep up with you? Um, how can they kind of keep tabs on your guys' efforts? So we have a we have an email list on our website. Uh, I would just say go to BoycottLAWeekly.com. We have a Boycott LA Weekly uh, Twitter page and Instagram page, which is been a little you know we are we are ramping up for the next phase which will probably come out and you know and, and we're gonna you know for the for the enforce for the foreseeable future we, we will shut down we'll do our best to shut down every one of their events because they should not be able to like you know build they should not be allowed to exploit what what the people the writers of los angeles have built over the last 40 years and they've they've proven to have no regard for the city its culture uh, its people yeah, they're trading on a lot of capital that they didn't build. Well, that's the thing. They're like, this is the LA Weekly. I'm like, you are not the LA Weekly because you have zero of the same writers. You have zero of the same editors. They, and, you know, like, you want to know what, how much contempt these men have for, you know, they're all men, of course. And uh, how much contempt they have for the people is that their current editor is the former creative director. He's never edited a day in his life. He's not a writer. He's not an editor. To, you know what I mean? It's like people were like, oh, do you want to take over the LA Weekly and be an editor? I'm like... I'm not an editor. I mean, like, I yeah, I've edited Passion the Weiss. Like, I know how to edit. But, like, I would never, like, put myself over, like, a woman like Mara Shell Hoop who would run two publications, you know? And, like, or there, Gwyneth Stewart was the, the, the arts and culture editor. Andy Herman was was an amazing music editor. Uh, I Just mean, a lot of talent. But then again, you know, like, if you've had one April job in Wolf, media, you've, yeah, had a, you've had all jobs in media, right? Like, it's all just media. It's all just... Like a flat cake. Yeah, I mean, when you don't understand, I feel like, and that's the other thing. Like, not one of them. I mean, Brian, like that. That's like to be the op-ed editor of the OC Register and all these like dim-witted, you know, like op, like to write to, to commission. Like, you know, one of the op-eds he commissioned is this wild. I mean, uh, it was like Putin had no. He he had a co-byline on it too, uh, Kaye, and it goes, Putin had no choice but to annex Crimea. Like, you were running Russian propaganda in the OC register. Like, no, I think Vladimir Putin had a choice yeah. not to annex. Yeah. Like, there are options. Yeah. Just, like, wild things that... And, and they're permissible because they're not people calling them out. Yeah. Like, it hadn't been called out before. Like, there are there is just so much to cover. And, you know, LA used to have, I mean, what, three dailies? Yeah. When it was, what, a city about a fifth the size? Oh, yeah. 
So, like, there you go. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, the Herald Examiner, like, I wasn't around for it, but everyone said it was a really great paper. Like, uh, the best journalism is produced in circumstances of competition. Yeah. It just the best anything usually is because you have to like compete with your rivals to get the scoop. Yeah. And that doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, they, you know, it, fuck the LA Weekly. Yeah. <laughs> like, moral of the story is, you know. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good note to end on. Thank you yeah. very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, my Jeff Weiss, passionlewice.com, uh, Passion Weiss on all socials. But honestly, Fuck Seminal Media is a staff record label as a crew. If you see an LA Weekly, turn it over. Don't throw it away because that increases the circulation. And if you're, you know, just, uh, you can always hit me up on any social or hit up the boycott socials and we'd love to have you involved. We're trying to really make this something that's positive for the community. And again, I can't stress enough, this is not just distressed freelancers. These are people that really care and like, they're they're from all walks of life. And uh, we're just trying to do what we can to stop the fascism, you know? Yeah, yeah. Damn straight. (laughs) Thanks for having me.